Welcome to a special Advent edition of Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. Welcome back to Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. And this being Advent season, we're on the third week of Advent. Welcome back to the microphone. Thank you. It's always good to be here. Each week has a theme word, and we focused on the lectionary of the Anglican Church, which was what they brought to the New World. It's been part of our American heritage, celebrating what they knew all along and how the Advent ushers him in to our life. Hmm. Well, this week in Advent is the week of joy. We started with hope. We went through peace, and now we're on to joy. By the way, folks, these programs and the discussions we've had about these things are all available on the website at CompassionRadio.com, including all the scriptures that are mentioned in this as part of the lectionary of the common Advent celebration that's been going with us for hundreds of years. So we invite you to check that out at CompassionRadio.com. Well, the interesting thing to me about this week in Advent is if you follow along with the tradition of Advent with the candles that you light, there is liturgical meaning to each of the colors that is used during the Advent season. This week, the candle is pink. Previous two weeks, it's been purple, which is the liturgical color for Advent. But pink is significant in that it it is the candle of joy. It is the color and symbol of joy. Now, I couldn't necessarily find out exactly why that color was used. If I was to imagine something, I would simply (laughs) say that like purple is a rich and deep and powerful color of royalty. Pink seems much lighter in spirit and in color and in whiteness shining through that purple. Perhaps. Perhaps. That's that's a good reason enough right there. And we'll go with that for today. Okay. But it's lighting the candle that is significant because it reminds us of the joy of the good news of the birth of Jesus. And it's also called the shepherd's candle because if we look at the story in Luke about the angels coming to the shepherds, it was, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And it brought such celebration from the shepherds as they went and saw the baby Jesus. And then from there out into the community to share the joy of the birth of the Messiah. So this week we come in joy and celebration. Also another scripture that goes along with these readings that we'll post in the study guide on the website is in 1 Thessalonians 5. And that says, Rejoice always. That's the very beginning of that section of the reading. And it is so beautiful to be reminded that this is indeed a time of great joy. All times find their joy in this route. Let's jump back to the Old Testament where the prophets are visited first. And we have a scripture about announcing freedom to all captives, the joy to those who are set free. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 through 4. The Lord God's Spirit is upon me, and because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. 
They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Interestingly, if you will remember from the Gospels, when Jesus began his public ministry, he read from this very scripture, this very scroll. And as we've discovered over the past few years, there was actually a liturgy and a lectionary that was part of Jewish worship in the first century. Mm -hmm. They worked their way through the Word of God on a cyclical basis so that the entire Council of the Word would be presented to the body. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus stepped up there to read these scriptures, it was no accident. Right. He knew exactly what week they were in, in the liturgical calendar of his synagogue. So when he stepped up to read that scripture, he knew at this point in his life what would be read and what it meant to him. So him stepping up to say, these words have become true in your own hearing. He's saying to them, I'm announcing myself. Mm. I have revealed myself to you first. It always seems amazing to me that we forget that Jesus first announces his purpose, his mission, his calling, and his divinity all at the same time in this one reading. Mm. And he does it to his home crowd, people that he knew well, that knew him. For these people, they knew the scriptures, but suddenly they have a new mystery afloat here. Mm -hmm. What does he mean that I am the one, that in your own hearing this has become a reality, that this has come to life today? What does that mean? They spent the rest of their lives and the life of Jesus on earth trying to figure out what that meant for them. So even though it was incredibly clear that he said this and says, I'm the guy you're talking about, still it gave a great new mystery that was unfathomable to anybody who had come before. Mm. This is such a great way to announce yourself. But it also, in my estimation, puts a lot of pressure on the reader, on the person who is claiming this as their identity. Because there's a lot of stuff going on in this. He's bringing good news to the poor. He's binding up the brokenhearted. He's proclaiming release for captives and liberation for prisoners. He's announcing a day of vindication of God who is on the side of the downtrodden and the prisoner. He announces comfort to those who mourn and provides for the mourners and a crown instead of ashes. So he's renewing their place. He's giving them a prominent place by giving them a crown and giving the oil of joy instead of mourning praise instead of discouragement. He's announcing a lot of things that we all know post-Jesus era that he is very capable of. And with the Holy Spirit, we also are capable of these things. So he's proclaiming that over us and to us. We all know it's all about Jesus. So through the middle of verse 3, we're hearing about who he is and what he does and what the effect is on the people that hear him. You are now called to something, too. Right. Because of what I will do, this will happen to and through us. The first thing he mentions is they will be called oaks of righteousness. Mm. In other words, those who welcome him, those who acknowledge his presence and his authority and his primacy of place, that say, yeah, he really is the fulfillment of this scripture that comes before. Then we, by scripture, are going to become these things. It's a prophecy about those who will follow Jesus. We can all find ourselves in a prophecy right now if we simply look at that word and say, that's true for me. Mm-hmm. I am one of the they, them that have been called out, that have been called to be a noke of righteousness, that God will make in me something of substance, of, of mass and of gravity, 
that shades all and produces much fruit. In the case of an oak tree, of course, that means lots and lots of acorns, which means more and more like me. We are called to rebuild the ancient ruins. We are recalled to restore formerly deserted places. We are recalled to renew ruined cities. We are called to go to places that were deserted in generations past. Mm. I do think in some ways these are somewhat metaphorical because we can think about all kinds of things that are deserted. They're not just physical structures. We can think of all kinds of things that need to be rebuilt in our lives. Sometimes it might literally be the thing. There may be churches that have gone into disrepair, that are falling apart. They're not being used for worship anymore. Perhaps he's calling us in our generation to move back in and inhabit those places and bring them back to life and become places of ministry. But the point for me is, honey, we are in those verses. Yeah, I I look at that and see that we are called to something very specific as an oak tree. I mean, you and I lived in Texas for a lot of years, and there's a lot of oak trees. And many different kinds of oak trees. Many different kinds. In central Texas, where we live, there is a particular kind of oak tree called the pin oak. They are smaller oak trees, and they grow straight up and down, but they grow in a grove. Yes, they do. And they're connected underground. Mm -hmm. They're stabilizing each other. And one of the things that oaks do, these kind of oaks do, is they provide a lot of shelter when they're joined together. Yep. Now, if a pin oak is by itself, there's not a lot of shelter because it's It looks skinny. like a huge tip standing. Yeah. But when they're joined together, they provide strength for each other, yep. but also shelter for all of the woodland creatures that are around them. But then there are also these giant oak trees that we think about when we read Oaks of Righteousness. Right. And they are so strong and so big, and they provide also a lot of shelter for those that come underneath them. You talk about pin oaks being like a grove, like aspens are to deciduous tree in the mountains. Groves of quakies and, and aspens will grow the same kind of way that pin oaks do, mm-hmm. and they'll spread over large areas and be united underground first before even above ground linked by vision. Pin oaks being the same way, they let a certain kind of light through. So certain kinds of creatures can live well within their environment. Live oaks give such a dense coverage Mm -hmm. that they can stand by themselves miles from other live oak trees and still survive and still provide an environment for others. So whether we're called in community to be like the pin oaks or called to be solid and substantial and a protector of and a safe place for anybody. Either way, we're oaks. Mm -hmm. So whatever the style of our personalities that God's put into us, there's a way and a function that we have to be the kind of oak trees he's talking about. We are not literally called to turn into oak trees. We are literally called to be as substantial as we can imagine an oak tree to be. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. 
whether we're called in community to be like the Pin Oaks or called to be solid and substantial and a protector of and a safe place for anybody, either way, we're Oaks. Mm -hmm. So whatever the style of our personalities that God's put into us, there's a way and a function that we have to be the kind of oak trees he's talking about. We are not literally called to turn into oak trees. We are literally called to be as substantial as we can imagine an oak tree to be. And with that community, they are able to withstand a lot of storms and protect each other. I believe God has called us to community with other believers. So that's the first thing he calls us to be is oaks of righteousness. And the rest of the things fall into place because we become this thing or we're becoming. Mm -hmm. We don't go out there and rebuild cities and restore things and bring water to the desert to make it bloom again without any roots in our lives. I think Jesus is very specific in saying, this is who I am. This is who you are becoming. So we got to start with the first things first so that the rest of things can't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, let's skip then to the second part of the Isaiah reading, which is verses 8 through 11, and we'll just quickly go through that. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are the people blessed by the Lord. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom in a priestly crown, and like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts out its growth and as a garden grows its seeds, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. This tells me how oaks become righteous. Mm, (laughs) The thing that he's talking about before. What does it mean to be full of the glory and presence Mm -hmm. of God? What does it mean to be like so in his image that people look at our lives and say, man, if their God is anything like them, they're onto something. Yeah. If everything about us reflects that glory in some way. And there's diversity in these descriptions. Maybe not all of us have quite the same kind of beauty that others do. But there's all kinds of descriptions about what it means to be one of these righteous types. Yeah. I don't know how I would aspire to every one of those kind of characteristics. I don't know that I'm made to be every single one of those, but I know I'm made to be something. Mm -hmm. So why not jump in there and say, God, whatever you got for me, if this truly is a prophecy of you in me, of you through me, go on, Mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. Let's get down to business. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message in verse 10. He says, I will sing for joy in God, explode in praise (laughs) from deep in my soul. That is so visual to me. (laughs) This explosion of joy. I see this flood of beautiful music, of praise, of worship, and a fountain just pouring over in joy when I read those verses. Like the difference between singing a little ditty and performing the 1812 overture, right. <laughs> the glorious victory over the enemy. There's something about musical pieces like that that just really kind of nail it for me. They really do what they say. So if we explode with joy the way they're being described here, it to me is like setting off a bomb of good things in the world yeah. that would scatter everywhere. Mm. Well, that joy spills over to our next scripture that we're going to read. And today there's two gospel scriptures. And the first one comes from the book of Luke. And it is a very well-known scripture. And it's read over and over this time of year. 
it actually happened a few months before this, that, that this scripture was performed, if you will. This is the Magnificat of Mary. And it is such a beautiful piece of poetry when she's explaining her situation or when she's telling Elizabeth, her cousin, about what's happening in her life. When Elizabeth says to her, what a joy it is for me that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me. And Mary bursts forth with this song. As you hear these lyrics, by the way, consider this. This was a song, a poem that was memorized by Mary, maybe even before she even uttered all the phrases together. It was something that comes from her heart of hearts, but is so well known to her that she can remember it the rest of her life. Now, how does that happen usually? Well, we usually learn a song. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing to say that this is not, in fact, a set of lyrics to a Psalm of David. It's very possible that this was such a familiar song of joy Mm -hmm. and exultation that when she put her words to music, everyone knew what it was. So that over her entire life, you couldn't forget that song. And this is that song. But we often think of this song, too, as just, oh, this is such a great piece of music or poetry that that Mary is reciting or that she's speaking from her heart. I just want to insert here that this little verse of Mary's is revolutionary. Mm. It is kind of inciting a revolution in her own way. And it is speaking out about social justice and issues that are plaguing the children of Israel at this time because of the the world she knows her child's coming into. Yeah. Yeah. The Canticle of Mary. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is shown from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown the strength of his arm, He has routed those who are arrogant in the desires of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of Israel, his servant, ever mindful of his merciful love, according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Reminders of Origins reaching into the past to see what the present is and what the future is going to be. As it was, as it is, as it ever shall be, world without end. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. A proclamation from Mary's heart to the entire lineage of Christ and his bride, which is us. She's setting in motion a wedding feast from the very moment she knows she's going to have a child. Mm Mm-hmm. She's also speaking prophecy over this child. Mm -hmm. She's saying out loud, this is the kind of person this boy is going to be. He's going to grow up to be a king that will demote the powerful forces that are occupying them and powerful empires around the world. He will speak to the poor in a tender and merciful way. He will bring the humble up and bring the powerful down. I mean, she's prophesying over this boy. It's amazing to me how during that time, this was very dangerous speak. (laughs) She was speaking very dangerous words here. From the perspective of somebody who is without power, absolutely. But there's a great depth of authority and confidence that comes from the Spirit of God here, too. Mm -hmm. I don't think Mary's afraid in the least to proclaim these things, but they come from the heart of God. Yeah. I mean, this is literally the Holy Spirit breathing in her and her breathing out. 
This is God saying, this is who I am within you, Mary. And Mary is not just channeling it, but is adding her entire self to it. This isn't some kind of, she has no say here. She absolutely has 100% say in what comes out of her own lips. Mm -hmm. Nothing is making a puppet out of her. She said yes to the angel. She's saying yes to the life within. She's saying yes to what she knows God's going to do with that life. Her yes is a very willing and courageous yes. We are very close to running out of time here for today. So let's go on to the description of who John is. And while Sandy's reading this, think about why this is joy. Why is the story of John a proclamation of joy? John 1, 6 through 8, and 19 through 28. A man appeared, sent by God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to give testimony to the light, so that through him all might come to believe. He himself was not the light. His role was to bear witness to the light. This is the testimony offered by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Then they asked him, Who then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Therefore they said to him, Who are you so we may have an answer to give to those who sent us? What do you have to say about yourself? He replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. Some Pharisees were present in this group, and they asked him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you there is one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Again, I'll leave that question with you. Consider after we close this program today, why is that message, that testimony of John to all the things he is not, and the one thing he is left is a little bit of a mystery, why is that joy? Mm. And think about how that might be a message in your own heart. Is that a message being proclaimed through you? And that, my friends, is the end of our Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word for this week, Advent focused on the word joy. We look forward to having you back for tomorrow's Compassion Radio. Thanks for joining us today.
Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today. 